He already read uh, the passage for us, so I won't, uh, I won't go through and read it all straight through again. <clears throat> but I, I kind of wish, <laughs> in, in some sense, I, I kind of wish that we um, sang the songs after <laughs> the sermon this morning, um, because I, I'm hoping that as we, as we get through the, the sermon this morning, we'll um, have an even greater appreciation for everything that we just sang about. Um, let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the infallible and errant, perfect word of God, that you have loved us enough to send Christ to come to earth to live a perfect life, something we could never do, to pay the penalty of our sin, to give us new life to reconcile us back to you. And we thank you that, that you've chosen to reveal that truth to us in your word. And you've chosen to use the writings of other men that, you, that you've inspired, that you've uh, given the words to, to speak and to write, such as Paul, to give us these words of encouragement, to give us these words of admonition this morning. As we look at um, these words of Paul, Lord, we recognize that they are your words as well. And I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that our hearts would be open to what you have for us, that our hearts would be turned back to you, that you truly would receive honor and glory and blessing, and that we would, um, we would praise you in a way that perhaps we haven't in a while, that we would love you perhaps in a deeper way than we have before. We thank you for what you're going to do, and we pray that you would work mightily this morning, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's almost commonplace when you watch a, a movie or perhaps read a book um, to, to see this, this uh, scene. Usually it comes near the end of the movie or near the end of the book, and either the main character or uh, someone close to the main character or maybe, maybe just somebody important to the plot uh, on the good side, <laughs> whatever whatever's going on, um, they die, and and we all sit there and, and and we all know what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen? Come on, it's like ninety percent of the movies that you watch. What happens? Do they stay dead? No, they come back to life, right? They come back, um, and 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 if it's a if it's a really pathetic movie, then you just sit there and you're like, they're not dead. You know, it's like, I, I called this. It's like, we're all geniuses at the end of every movie now, because this is just what Hollywood does. It does the same thing over and over again. Now nah, they're not dead. But if it's a really good movie or a really good book, and it's really well, well written, then, you know, we're sitting there, we're on the edge of our seat. And, and we're like, and we're, and we're probably even holding our breath, you know, and you're sitting there and you're just waiting. You're like, you're like, surely, surely they didn't kill him. You know, they can't, they, they can't die. You know, after everything that's happened, they can't die. And we're sitting there and we're, and we're thinking, ah, they're going to come back, they're going to come back. And if it's done really well, it's just long enough to make you think, maybe not. And we sit there and we, we clench the couch or the armchair and we hold our breath and we wait until the eyes open or they take a breath. And it's like, oh, okay, good. Now, if Hollywood's really smart and they're starting to do this a little bit, um, they just go ahead and kill them off. 
<laughs> and you kind of walk, walk away from the movie a little bit depressed then because, you know, the person's dead. But we, we, we've, we're, we're used to that. We understand what's going to happen because that's a happy ending. Nobody, nobody wants to go to a movie or read a book and the, and the person that's the main character dies. Nobody wants that. Everybody wants a happy ending. We want to walk away having enjoyed the film. Um, you know, unless you're a film critic, then you want to walk away having criticized everything in it. Um, but that's, that's what we expect. We expect the person who died to come back to life. We expect the people uh, who have the skills to bring them back, who have the tools to bring them back, um, to get there in time to save that person, or we just expect them to come back spontaneously as what seems to happen a lot of times. We've come to expect it. You know, Hollywood has kind of desensitized us to uh, violence and death, and I think now it's kind of desensitized us to resuscitation, to rebirth or, or coming back to life, you know? It's kind of, it's just kind of a humdrum. It's, it's like no big deal because we see it all the time. It's lost its, it's lost its amazement for us, you know? It's lost its thrill. It's lost its twist to see someone come back to life. And I think if we're not careful, we can allow the same thing to happen to us as we look at this passage of Scripture, because you know what? We know the plot. You know, we, we've, we've read this story many, many times. In fact, we've, uh, you've probably read it hundreds of times. You might have even heard it preached hundreds of times. You might even have this whole passage memorized. Um, it's, it's a very common, a very popular passage. It's something that, that we all know very well. And if we're not careful, as we go through it, it's easy for us to just turn off our thinking. It's easy for us to not be amazed anymore by what Paul is going to remind us of. And so my challenge this morning as we go through this chapter, these first few verses, 1 through 10, as we look at what Paul is reminding us of in Ephesians chapter 2, don't turn it off. Don't just be like, oh yeah, I know where he's going with this. I might surprise you. No, probably not. <laughs> We're just going to go through what Paul said, so it's not going to be a huge surprise. But don't turn it off, because just because you've seen it before, just because you know the plot, doesn't mean it's not amazing. You know, we're just saying, amazing grace. Have you really thought about what that word means? Amazing grace? Do we actually stand in amazement of what God has done for us very often? This morning, as we look at this passage, I encourage you, stand in amazement of what God has done for us. Paul begins this passage. <clears throat> He's just talked in, in chapter 1. Um, we talked about the fact that God has given us spiritual blessings, right? He's given it to us through, given us many spiritual blessings, He's given them to us through Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ is everything, He's everything that we need. He's everything um, that, that satisfies us. He's everything that saves us. He is all in all. It's all about Jesus. And he's just gone through these things, these great things that, that God has done for us. And he kind of, kind of takes a bit of a pause at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. And, he, and he, instead of reminding us about more things that God has done right away, he says, you know what? I want you guys to remember something else. I want you to remember what it was like before. I want you to remember 
what you were like before. Um, I know uh, quite a few of your testimonies. We actually, last uh, yesterday morning, uh, the guys who were there for the men's uh, breakfast for our life group, we went around and shared testimonies of how we came to Christ. And so, um, you know, it was, it was really interesting to kind of hear how the Lord brought everyone, not necessarily just here, but just to him, how God had saved each person. And everybody's different. Everybody comes to Christ uh, in a different way. And it's, and it's really neat to see how God uses circumstances and people and lives to draw us to him. And, and you know, I, I, I know a lot of your testimonies. I've heard them before. And, and many of you, you know, you don't, you don't really have a testimony that's uh, full of debauchery. Some of you do, <laughs> you know. Um, some of you can look back and say, man, I was just a dirty, rotten person. I didn't want anything to do with anything good, you know. And, and that's true. Some of you were that way. Some of you uh, grew up in a, in a home that was all about going to church, and you went there every Every Sunday, and you were, you know, anytime the door was open, you were there. Some of you in here are children who, you know, you've barely lived long enough to really do anything completely rotten, right? <laughs> that we would all, you know, put you in jail for or something like that. Um, so there's many in here that when, when we look at this concept that Paul's giving us to look back on what we were like, um, it may not seem like that bad of a thing. <laughs> because if you're like me, uh, part of my testimony is, is that I did grow up in a Christian home. I, I, was, I was a goody two-shoes. I was, I was the compliant child. My brother was the rebel, uh, is the rebel. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep it in present tense. Um, I, I was the compliant one. I was the one who, who followed all the rules. Inside, there wasn't a lot going on spiritually, but I was at least the good kid. I got the spiritual servant awards and, you know, all the accolades for, being, for, for meeting all of the external uh, rules and standards. That was me. But that didn't mean that I was saved. You know, inside, that wasn't me. And Paul here is pointing to not just how we acted as, um, as unsaved, the acts that we did particularly. He's talking about our spiritual condition. And he starts off here in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. All right? That's a very important word that he says there. He says, you were what? What? Dead. You were dead. And no doubt you've heard sermons about Ephesians chapter 2, and they've talked about what it means to be dead, right? What does it mean to be dead? Somebody give me an example. You're not breathing, all right? Yeah, not breathing? There's no life, right? Uh, we'll use the classic, the classic, classic, uh, excuse me, classic questions. Can you get me a cup of water, please? My mouth is really dry. Um, you know, can a dead person do anything? No. Can a dead person move? No. Can a dead person make himself undead? No. He has no ability, he has no power right? There's nothing that a dead person can do to help himself. That's why at the end of those movies, um, if it's not spontaneous, you've usually got somebody banging on the chest, you know, usually crying, you know, yelling, wake up, you know, something like that. I mean, he can't do anything for himself. He's dead. It takes the intervention of somebody else to bring him back to life. And so uh, Paul tells us that we, as human beings, are dead. 
We are lifeless. We're powerless in our trespasses and sins. You know, I think it's, it's interesting um, that he uses both of these words. And in fact, you'll see this a lot of times um, when it talks about um, our condition as being dead and trespasses and sins. He uses these two words, trespasses and sins. Does anybody know what the word trespass means typically, how it's used? Okay, violation of, of property, right? Um, it has more, it's a violation of a law, right? It's a violation of a command or a law, all right? Does anybody remember the first trespass? Genesis chapter three, right? God gives Ab- Ad- Abraham, <laughs> God gives Adam and Eve one rule, right? What was the rule? Don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. And what was the consequence if they disobeyed that law, if they transgressed against that law? What? Death. Death, very good, yeah. They were gonna die, right? If they disobeyed God and they ate that fruit, they would die. In fact, uh, Eve kind of took it a little step further. Remember what she say? She said, even if we touch it, right, we'll die. Yeah. And so I don't know if maybe Adam kind of told her, just look, don't even touch it. I don't know. I don't know how that conversation went, where she got the idea. But God said, if you eat of this tree, you will die. And guess what? They ate of the tree. And did they die? Not physically. Right? No, they kept living. They got kicked out of the garden. And uh, they got all the, the, the ground was cursed and, and childbirth was cursed. You feel sorry for Kathy right now. Um, you know, she's enjoying it at the moment. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, 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 the ground was cursed where, where work was going to be hard. And it, it was terrible. But they were still alive. And they were kicked out. And, and, and then they had children. Lots of children. And then those children had children grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, all the way down to you and me. But yet there was death. What was the death that God promised that happened immediately? It was spiritual death. At the moment they ate of that fruit, they died spiritually. At the moment they ate of that fruit, they lost the fellowship with God. Trespass. The word sin is very similar to to trespass. It's used a lot in the same way of breaking God's law or breaking a law. Um, But it also has a little bit different connotation. It also has the idea of breaking, of, of not meeting God's perfect standard. Does anybody recognize a, a verse that talks about that? In Romans, maybe? Romans 3.23, right? What does it say? For all have sinned and done what? Fall short of the glory of God, right? So trespass is breaking of God's clearly command laws, and sin is also breaking God's laws, but coming short of God's stature, status of perfect perfection, God's standard of perfect perfection. And so Paul's saying, look, you were dead because of your trespasses and sins. Yes, death, spiritual death, was passed down to us by Adam. 
That's true. Romans 5.12 tells us that. For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sin, right? It's not just because of Adam, it's also because of us. And so Paul is telling us we are dead. In fact, later on he's going to say that we are naturally that way. So Paul's telling us both things, that we are dead because of Adam, but we are also dead because of our own sinful, wicked choices. That is our status. For those of us who are here, who have been saved, that was our status. Paul's saying, look, yes, God has done all these great things in chapter 1, and Jesus is is everything that we need in chapter 1, but I want you to remember where you once were. Whether you were the most depraved person in the entire world, or whether on the outside you were the best person that ever lived, before Christ, you were dead. Dead and helpless in your sin. What does the spiritual death look like? He kind of gives us some examples here. He says, following the course of this world. Um, I'll just read them all here and then we'll go through them. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. What did it look like for us to be dead? Well, first thing he says is that we're following the, the path or the way of the world. Have you ever noticed how the world just kind of tends to grab onto any concept or any, uh, anything that makes them feel good about themselves, specifically about the way that they're living, that especially when it's things that we know go against God's law? You ever, you ever see how quickly um, the world as a whole seems to just kind of accept things? You know, we can look even in our lifetime at some of the things that the world has, has just accepted as, as good and as right that go against God. You know, there's the acceptance of, of clear sin, the acceptance of abortion, the acceptance of alternate lifestyles, the acceptance of changing what marriage is. All these things that the world calls good. And it's, and it's just this, whatever way the world goes, Paul's telling us, look, when you, before you were saved, you were caught up in that flow. Before you were saved, you were just like them. You were walking just like them. You were caught up in whatever the world thought was good, you were on board with. You know, it's, it's interesting in so many churches today, we have people who name the name of Christ, um, but yet they, they get so caught up in all these things, you know? And they're not, they don't know the word of God well enough and they're not standing on the word of God well enough to stand up for what is right and they get caught up in, in all these, these ideas that the world has of, of what's right and what's good and what's acceptable and what is quote-unquote love. And he says that's the way unsaved people walked. That's the way dead people walk. They get caught up and whatever is popular. But then he says that you followed uh, the prince of the power of the air, the one who is currently working in the hearts of those who are disobedient, right? Who is that? Who's it talking about? Who? Satan, Satan right? I'm good to, glad the kids are in here since the adults aren't answering. <laughs> All right, good job. Yeah, Satan. 
So not only were we just following after whatever the way of the world was, but we were following after Satan. And whatever he led us to do, we would follow into as well. It says that he was working in the, he works in the hearts of those who are disobedient, right? That's, that's what he does. He's leading them. He's directing them. They are his army. And they follow what he commands. And those who are dead follow after the ways of the world. They follow after Satan. And so were you. They don't have a choice. They're stuck. They're slaves. They're bound to follow after Satan. Scripture tells us that we, we wrestle against three things, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul didn't leave out the flesh either. What do you say? Let's look back. He says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind is part of how we lived. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Right before that, he says, carrying, he says uh, in the passions of our flesh. In the passions of our flesh. A dead person has no ability to fight his natural desires. A dead person has no ability to fight his natural desires. He is, he's, he's caught up in the ways of the world. He's following after the leading of Satan and he, and he can only do that which his flesh desires. That's what he wants to do. A dead person does not desire the things of God. Romans chapter eight tells us this. A dead person has no desire for God. He has no interest in God. All he is desiring is to fulfill his flesh. All he's trying to do is make himself happy. And, and so were we. Think about that. You don't have to be an axe murderer to be somebody who just lives for himself. That's what we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were caught up in the flow of the world. We were followers of Satan. And we were only worried about fulfilling the desires of our flesh. But there's another piece of this that I think we often forget when we, when we think about this. Like I said, it's easy for us to kind of roll through this passage because we know it so well. It's easy for us to, to just kind of, you know, glance over these things and think, yeah, okay, thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. And forget the magnitude of it. Okay, And I think that's why Paul included this here. He says, <clears throat> at the end of verse 3, he says that uh, we're carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of what? Wrath. Children of wrath. Now, does that, that does not mean that we were just simply angry people. Okay? That's not what it means when it says children of wrath. What does it mean? What? It means we deserve it. We deserve God's perfect, righteous wrath. What does that wrath look like? If you study the book of Revelation, 
you'll know that those who stand before the great white throne judgment, who do not have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, will be cast into what is called the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. A place of torment, a place of darkness, a place of solitude for all eternity. I don't care who in the world has been angry at you. You don't know what real wrath is. You don't know what God's wrath is like. I want you to think about that this morning. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You deserved the wrath of God. Do you really ever think about that? Sure, we think about the fact that, yeah, I was a sinner. Man, I really, I really, man, I, I wish that I had, I had known Christ before because there's so many things that maybe I wouldn't have done if I'd have known Christ, you know. And we, and we can kind of, we, we can almost kind of, you know, give ourselves a pass a little bit because we look down at, at, these, at these things that we did and we're like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm saved now though, so it's okay, you know. And, and we look at that and we look at our lives in the past and it's all just kind of, uh, it is under the blood. Yes, of course it is. But we kind of whitewash it a little bit, I think, sometimes in our mind, especially those of us who don't have anything that's like super bad in our minds. It's easy to just kind of whitewash uh, our, our life before Christ. But God says that every single one of us, no matter what we did before we came to Christ, deserved the wrath of God. Every single one of us. When's the last time you really sat down and thought about not just the wrath that your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members are going to face, but the wrath that you should be facing? When's the last time you thought about that? Paul says, think back. Remind yourselves of where you've been. You were dead. You were helpless you were hopeless. Paul's calling believers like you and me to take a hard look at our lives before Christ. He's calling us to remember the way that we used to walk. He's calling us to remember the things we used to do. He's calling us to remember the broad path that we were on that leads to destruction. You were dead. You were slaves. You were sinners. You had no hope. You were on your way to an eternity of pain and judgment. You are on your way to an eternity full of the wrath of God poured out upon you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ongoing. But God, two of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible, but God. My wife has told me for years that those are her favorite two words in Scripture. And yesterday we were just kind of talking briefly about what I was preaching on and, and she, she goes, you know, if I ever get a tattoo, that's going to be those two words. <laughs> All right. So just, I'll just throw that out there. You, you can keep her in check if she ever gets a tattoo. Better be those two words. But God... Paul says, think about, remember, don't forget 
all these things, the way that you were, the fact that you were dead, that you had no hope and you were headed towards destruction, but God stepped in. God stepped in when you couldn't do anything to save yourselves, when you didn't want to save yourself. God stepped in. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Think about those words. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy, do you ever really think about those words? That God is rich in mercy? I think it's important that Paul brings us back to this because in understanding where we were before Christ, who we were before Christ, and understanding that it's because of God's mercy and love and grace that we're not there anymore, I think is very important. Because I don't know if you're like me, but it's very easy when I go through a trial, when I go through a hard time, maybe it's a physical issue, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's a relational issue, um, all kinds of different things that can be going on in our lives, trials that we, we are going through. Maybe, maybe you're going through a trial today. Maybe you've just been through a trial. Maybe you've got a trial coming that you don't even know about. But it's so easy for us at times to look at God and say, God, why are you doing this? And I don't know that it's wrong to question God, but it's wrong not to trust him. It's wrong to think that he's doing it for some purpose that's against us. And if we're not careful, it can be easy for us to to think in those terms. God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you against me? Maybe it's something that takes a long time. Maybe it's a besetting sin that you've prayed for help for and you keep falling over and over again. Maybe it's a physical problem that just keeps lingering and keeps lingering and you can't seem to find the right answers. Maybe it's just an emotional thing and you just can't seem to get over it. And you say, God, where are you? Where are you? We forget, I think, in those times, what God has already done. God being rich in mercy because of his great love. When we are going through those trials, it's not easy. It's it's not easy to just put on a happy face and Okay, God, I trust you. I'm not saying saying be flippant. But if we really viewed those trials in the light of what God has already done for us, those trials would be insignificant. If we really valued the fact that we were dead and now have been made alive in Christ, these trials would be insignificant. These trials would be no big deal. But the problem is, as Paul is reminding us, we lose sight of what God has done. And he's calling us back to remember, remember the great mercy, the riches of the mercy of God, that he would take dead people and make them alive. How rich is that mercy? How great 
is that love that he would do that. But not only has he made us alive, but he goes on and he says in verse six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is kind of that picture again of adoption. I know it seems like we're kind of going back to chapter one a little bit, but he's made us alive in Christ and then he's adopted us as sons. He's brought us up and seated us in the heavenly places with him. He has brought us into his family. We who were his enemies, he has made his children because of the riches of his mercy and his great love. Do we really grasp that? I'll be honest with you. When I sit here and I think how God, who is perfect and holy and righteous and just, can look on us who are everything against that and everything against him and can have mercy and love for that. Not just have mercy and love, but have mercy and love so great that he would punish himself in the form of Christ to redeem us. I don't understand it. I can preach it. I can, I can tell you what scripture says about it, but I don't understand it. It's incomprehensible. The love of God, the mercy of God, but it is rich and it is grandiose and it is grace. And two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that he lavishes us with it. Think about what God has done for us. Not only has he adopted us and set us up with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in verse seven, so that, the, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did he do it? So that he can show us even more of his grace. The immeasurable grace. We sang all these songs this morning about God's grace. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not being silly when I say I, I really do almost wish that we'd waited till the end. Because if, if you are not in the right mindset and you're just singing these songs because they're familiar songs and we sing them a lot and, and we enjoy them because we know them and, and it's easy to sing and, and you know them so you sing them at the top of your lung, you know, um, if that's all you're singing them for, you're missing the point. And Paul is telling us we have got to understand where we've been so that we can have any small comprehension of the immeasurable magnitude of the riches of God's mercy and grace and love and kindness to us. And he is going to show us more. It didn't just stop with salvation. God's mercy and grace and love and kindness didn't just stop at salvation. All right, you're saved, good to go, I'm out. That's not God. He says he set us up in the heavenly places so that he could then show us more of his grace and his kindness. Is that really how we view our Christian life? It's easy to see the hard things of the Christian life, is it not? 
it's easy to see the trials and the temptations and the struggles and the persecution. But do we stop and see the day by day, moment by moment, grace of God in our life? If we don't understand what he did for us at salvation, then we won't see or understand the immeasurable riches of his grace that he gives to us day in and day out. That's not the end. Why would we ever doubt God? When we sit here and we look at what God has done for us, that Paul's reminding us of here in Ephesians chapter 2, why would we ever doubt him? He talks about the riches of mercy, the immeasurable grace that he and kindness that he wants to show towards us. And yet so often we doubt. We think there needs to be more. And I think a lot of times, even, even in our, our idea of salvation, we kind of, we kind of can begin to put ourselves up on a pedestal. And we can forget, as we were reminded of last week, that Jesus is everything. I don't know about you, but for me, it's very easy when I become frustrated with the world, when I become frustrated with the the way that they treat Christians or with the way that they treat truth or with the way that they um, are just living in general. And, And it's very easy for me to look at them and look down on them as if somehow I was uh, worthy of God to save me. You know, as if somehow maybe I was, I was smart enough to, to be one of the ones who, who accepted God's clear plan. We're going to talk about God's mystery in the days ahead. All right. But, but it can be really easy for me to look down on, 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 in anger or look down in pity at these people and be like, why don't you get it? And I think that's one of the reasons why Paul makes such an emphasis in these next two verses. Probably most of you can quote them to me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. After all these things he talks about God has done, he makes it a point to bring it back to this very simple statement. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. After all these things, he's talked about what God has done, and yet he knows that even in our own personal hearts, we can have the, the, the audacity to think that somehow we had something to do with it. And he says, no, by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. You know, there's a, there's a debate uh, amongst theologians, uh, those who study scripture and try to understand it and put it together, about whether or not faith here is, is included in that gift. Um, there are reasons why people fall on either line. Uh, I don't think it's as clear as people want to make it in either direction. But what I fall back to is this. Romans chapter 10 tells us how faith comes. It says faith comes by what? 
Hearing. And hearing by what? The Word of God. Faith is not something that a dead person can muster. Faith is not somebody, something that someone who is dead in their trespasses and sins can just create. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It is by God's grace that we even hear the message of salvation and it is by His grace that we have the ability to respond to Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. He's got one more thing to say. He's taken us through this, this understanding and reminder of, of where we've been, dead in our trespasses and sin. We were under the wrath of God. We were headed towards destruction. We deserved to be punished for everything that we had done, both because of natural um, uh, our sin nature through Adam and both and because of the things that we had done on our own. He says, you, have, you, have, you, were, you were dead and you deserved hell, but God loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to come to earth to die on the cross for you, to redeem you, to make you his child, to share the glorious and measurable blessings that he has given us of grace and mercy and love and kindness and all the other ones that we looked at in chapter one. He's done all that. And then he says, but I want to remind you of one more thing. For you are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. God didn't just save us so that we could be saved. He said, I need to remind you guys, it's not just this great thing that God did and now you're saved and praise the Lord, all right, now what? He says, God has made you a new creature and he's given you good works to do and he expects you to walk in them. God has saved us for a purpose. Part of that is to make mature followers of Christ, the glory of God. Part of that is to live a life that is pleasing to Him. Good works that He has foreordained that we should walk in them. My question this morning is when's the last time you really thought about what God did for you? Oh, we think about it a lot. We sing about it a lot, right? But when's the last time you really thought about it? When's the last time you got down on your knees and you said, I don't understand. Why me? When's the last time you looked at yourself and you were honest with yourself and you said, I don't deserve this? And in praise and adoration of your God, said, thank you. Is that the attitude of your heart when you sing those songs? Or is it just songs? God 
has done an amazing thing. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he's made us alive. Maybe there's somebody in here that, you know, you've heard the stories before, you know maybe what Scripture says, and maybe you've been caught up in your good works. Maybe you've thought that, well, you know, I, I, I do the right things. Surely, you know, surely I'm, I'm saved. That is, isn't that enough evidence? Just doing, just being kind, just doing nice things, isn't that enough evidence of salvation? But maybe that's what you're clinging to. And if that's you this morning, and it's not only Jesus, if Jesus is not everything to you for your salvation, then you're clinging to the wrong thing. You're still dead in your trespasses and sins. You're still on the road, no matter how many good things you do, to wrath and judgment forever. And I know most of us in here are believers, but perhaps there are those that are not. And I would urge you this morning, we do not know how long we have. We could be gone this afternoon. And if we are, and if we die in our trespasses and sins without what God has done for us, then we spend an eternity in judgment with no hope, unending, no reprieve, no parole, forever. That's where your neighbors are. That's where your coworkers are. That's where some of your family members are. If you are in awe of God this morning, of what he has done for you, does it then lead you to be concerned for the people around you who have not accepted his gift yet? If you're one of those people that have not accepted Christ's gift, I, I urge you to do it quickly. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you don't understand something. That's fine. Talk to somebody. We'd be more than happy to share what Scripture says. Not what we think, but what Scripture says about Jesus and what Scripture says about us. And Christians, if we're not in awe of what God has done for us, we need to do a heart check this morning. Father, we love you because you first loved us and you gave yourself for us. We would not know what true love is if it were not for the example of Jesus Christ on the cross. We would not know what true love is if it were not for your grace and mercy in our lives, bringing us from a path of death and destruction and punishment and making us alive, children of you. We thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us as we not just go throughout today, but tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, I pray that you would continue to keep that on the forefront of our mind, that we would not lose sight of who we are in you because of what you have done. Not because of anything that we were able to do, anything that we could muster in and of our own dead selves, Lord, but because you loved us, because of your great mercy, because your immeasurable grace and kindness, we are here this morning to worship you. And I pray 
that that would continue for the rest of our lives. Help us never to become complacent about what you have done for us. May we glorify you today. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.